0: Welcome to the Broken Metatarsal, where we celebrate everything that naughty football had to offer. My name is Rich Williams. Joining me today, Planet Football Editor, Mark Holmes. How are we doing, Mark? I'm well, thank you. Our European footy expert, Pete Farries is here as well. Hey, Pete. Hello, everyone. And a former footballer turned broadcaster who made over 350 senior appearances for many clubs, from Mansfield Town to Macclesfield Town, Chesterfield to Chester, essentially a collection of clubs that sounded similar. It's Martin Gritton. Martin, welcome, mate. Thank you, Rich. What a nice intro. Thank you. I spent a lot of time on it. So
1: uh, Chesterfield those, you know... and Mansfield—that is, that's interesting. That's that's crossing the divide. That do you know? Do you know the worst thing is when you don't know that that was a rivalry. So
2: I, <laughs> I for Mansfield because I came from I came from different sides. So I signed for Mansfield when I was playing for Grimsby. I was there on loan. Uh, sorry, from Lincoln on loan. But, but I signed for Chesterfield from, from from Macclesfield. So I'd come from two different directions. I was like. These these are these are quite close together. It turns out they hate each other. So yeah, that didn't go down too well. <laughs> My initiation,
1: real hatred there, real real kind of North Korea South Korea style hatred going on there.
0: <laughs> well, welcome along to uh, welcome along to the podcast. It's absolutely fantastic to have you with us. So thanks for that. We need to just very quickly recap something, which is going to cause me quite a lot of pain. Actually, a couple of podcasts ago, we did the. You see Mark's already smiling. We did the um, Noughties draft for the best Premier League Noughties teams, which we did. And Rob, as conveniently as he came bottom in the poll of who had the best team, is not here today. Uh, But we do have to say congratulations to Mark Holmesy Holmes for getting the most love for his team on Twitter. So it pains me to do it, but fair enough, you had the best team, mate. Well done.
3: It was an absolute no-brainer. It did out with two Leeds fans on the the podcast, to be fair. I wouldn't pick any Man United players, so it left me quite a few to go at, but no-brainer, boys.
0: I literally just said something nice about you, and you slapped me back in the face. <laughs> and you didn't have to do that. You could have just been a lot, a lot nicer than that. But you didn't. You went, you went straight in there. Uh, where is everyone today, by the way? Obviously, we're not in the studio at the moment. I'm in my nan's uh, spare room. I'm, I'm my in
1: my girlfriend's office, room. which is kind of the same thing. I'm, I'm just in my flat to see in Battersea,
2: in my bedroom, my makeshift uh, office. Yeah, I'm back in the bedroom today. I've Been kicked
3: out of the dining room, unfortunately.
0: Oh mate, I knew that was only going to last for one week before you got kicked <laughs> out of that. Okay, well let's get on with today's podcast because each episode we dig into one element of the noughties, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Today we're talking players moving from team to team, the ones that shocked you, the ones that made your smile beam. From players you never thought would grace your ground, to the ones that were signed but then rarely found. Signings that left you feeling head over heels. Today we remember the noughties' craziest transferred deals. So, Mark, you just give us a little bit of background on why we decided to do this pod.
3: We mentioned it on um, the things we loved about the 2000s as one of the things we liked most were just transfers that just caught you off guard really and took you by surprise because back in those days, stuff could happen without you finding out about it, uh, you know, until literally a player was, was holding the shirt in front of the own And And these sort of three types of, of mad, weird transfers is like the wow signings that were like, Jesus, that is you know, shocking the world kind of thing. Then there's like the the what the fuck signings really when a, a club signs a play, you think what what is happening there? What are they doing signing them? And then there's those ones um, that are just a little bit dodgy, and we think what's going on there. So there's a lot to go at in three quite separate kind of weird transfers.
0: Before we get into those kind of three things, Martin, you know, you're the only one here of experience of transferring, you've had plenty of transfers, but generally speaking, the inner workings of those transfers, the strange things that go on, there must be quite a lot of stuff, particularly back in the noughties, where you think, really?
2: Yeah, and the, the oddities of, I suppose, when you move teams and there's literally no airs of graces, You, unless it's in the summer, you've just got to go the next day. So, like, I, I remember driving up to Grimsby from Torquay on Christmas Eve, um, I signed for them, and that was just like I was straight into a hotel on my own, you know, over Christmas in in Grimsby, and I was just like, "What the hell?" Because it was it's quite bleak up there as it is. So, um, love a seaside town, obviously. I did love my time at Grimsby; it was, a, it was a, a great experience. But yeah, that that was a a shock to the system, going from the English Riviera to the um, the North Sea. In the lower leagues, it's a lot simpler because you you know. It's the old facts. It's just like a simple piece of paper. You've got your contract. It's pretty straightforward. But the legalities of the modern transfers
1: are a little bit different. I mean, obviously, you don't have to name names, although you can if you want. But what's the sort of weirdest transfer story you've heard when you've been sort of in, in and around the game, obviously? I mean, to be
2: honest, the, the, the ones that, are, that that I can never kind of get my head around, I like to put Peter Oden when you won. You know the one where he's like driving in and he's, he just does a U-turn and comes back and things like that that are just basic admin, you know, you like, <laughs> to be guaranteed. You, you want to go down there, you want to have the contract. When I signed for Grimsby, the, the chairman changed the terms of the contract while I was driving up and I was stuffed. I kind of had to go along with it and then had to renegotiate and just kind of those sort of things that you Well, then like, you do
0: double, double your wages, yeah?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some minor tweaks to the bonus schedules and the um, appearance money and all that. And in the lower leagues, those are, quite kind of fundamental to your contract so um, at the higher level certainly those the the nonsense of the merry-go-round of of deadline day I I find that absolutely preposterous but um, I've been a victim to it a few times myself
0: Well it'd be great to get your opinion on some of the transfers we're going to talk about as a player playing at the time because obviously you know we look on as fans and think what? But I guess players must think what maybe players thinking he's not good enough to go there or well, why, why on earth has he gone to that place? So let's let's get the ball rolling here, Mark. You know, we'll still, should we start with the what the what the fuck signings um, <laughs> and just, just let's just throw some out there and uh, have a little trip down memory lane of some of these crazy noughties transfers.
3: I think in Real Madrid because they seem to sign a few. There was Royston Drenth, which wasn't that weird at the time, but was mental when you look back at who he went on to play for. He spent time at Real. There was Thomas Gravison from Everton. What was weird about that, because he was a good player, what was weird about that is he was a box-to-boxer. He had Lee Carsley alongside him, who was the holding midfielder. Real wanted a holding midfielder and signed Graveson. It made you think, have they got the ball? He's mixed up here. It's <laughs> the wrong problem. <laughs> so, so it was them, but the real one that was like, what is going on here was Julian Fobert when they signed him on loan from West Ham. And he would, he'd been back up to Lucas Neal at West Ham. And then he goes to Real Madrid. And he's actually said he thought it was a wind-up, stuck the phone down on him. And then, obviously, it really happened. Uh, but he's an absolutely sensational picture of him at his press conference with his shirt, and Di Stefano's there. Uh, and Di Stefano's looking at him like, who the hell is this guy? What is he doing here? He only played twice for him. Got accused of falling asleep on the bench. And did the classic dad trick where he said that. I was just closing my eyes for thirty seconds, <laughs> so
0: like that, all, like that's a like that's a legitimate excuse i was I was just yeah. I was just just wanted to catch thirty seconds closing my eyes. You're on the bench, mate. you can't close your eyes whether you fall asleep or not. that's just the worst excuse ever.
3: you can't really say you're bored either at the Bernabeu out on the bench <laughs> watching Real Madrid. To be honest, it was a shit game. There's (laughs) plenty of 30 winks.
0: Is it legitimate to say that if any player receives a phone call and they themselves are thinking, you what? Then that's a strange transfer in itself. Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, there was a couple... It's weird because very often you
2: know because your agent will be speaking to people and there's a certain shift that you can kind of predict or kind of see there's gaps opening up that that might happen or that might happen. But yeah sometimes when you see when you see lads that have got taken on from um I don't know you remember the striking Nick Blackman yeah yeah striking yeah. Nick Blackman so he was in our youth team at Macclesfield and the youth team manager hated him because he was just so he just had a bad attitude but Paul Ince had been manager at Macclesfield Paul Ince went to Blackburn took him to Blackburn from the from the youth team and his career went
1: from there so yeah, it can happen in the most absurd ways We mentioned Tyrone Mears here
3: He got he, actually someone on Twitter put him forward I'd forgot all about that Forgot yeah, I know.
1: mean, I, I don't know if you can find out who said it on Twitter, but incredible, incredible deal that in that at Derby at the time, he goes to Marseille without telling Paul Jewell he's going. Now, admittedly, if you're at Derby, with, with, you know, if my girlfriend's from Derby, it's a place that I like, but <laughs> if you're at Derby and Marseille <laughs> say, come and play for us, I mean, I, I would like to consider myself an incredibly professional person, but I also wouldn't check with Paul Jewell. <laughs> you know I'd I'd be gone and that's exactly what Mias did he obviously went there was a long-term problem he then got a long-term injury having gone to Marseille and the whole thing just sort of fell apart around him I think it took him months to actually make a debut in the the UEFA Cup so that that deal to me is one of those mad ones where the player obviously along with the agent goes kind of rogue they kind of go rogue to not an acceptable extent but in a way that you understand how it happens he wants to play for Marseille but then it all collapses around him. And that's kind of this kind of hubris, which kind of kicks in with this deal, isn't
0: it? You mentioned the agents there. I mean, agents are definitely going to get their fair airing when we get to the dodgy signings category, I feel, uh, (laughs) later on in the podcast. Can I throw one in there? Um, Christophe Dugary from Bordeaux to Birmingham in 2003 was not something many people saw coming international France uh, a World Cup winner as well it, it, I mean I'd read somewhere that he had a cup of tea and a biscuit with Steve Bruce and he was, he was after that he was persuaded to come so that's the power of a cup of tea and a biscuit everyone
3: <laughs> must have been Yorkshire tea. <laughs> there's some great stories about him at Birmingham that they wanted him on the rowers and he just said, no, nah, I'm a footballer, I'm not a rower, wouldn't do it. And uh, they went on the pre-season talks. He ended up signing, he went on loan and ended up signing for him. And I think he turned up in the airport and all the lads were in the tracksuits, obviously, should do. And he's turned up in a T-shirt and ripped jeans. And, and Bruce said to him, why, like? And he said, because I'm the star. Fair
1: enough.
0: <laughs> Crack on. <laughs> That's why you signed him, right? In the first place, you wanted a star. How many
1: games did Christophe Dugri? I know the answer here, how many games did he play for Birmingham?
0: This feels like an unfair quiz if you know the answer, Pete. (laughs) 28. Yeah, but
1: I'm the quiz master, Rich. You know how these things work, right? All right, fine. Okay, fine. (laughs) Right, so he played 30 games. Give me some credit. Yeah, that was a good shout. He had um, a great run of goals, obviously, that kept Birmingham up. He, after 30 games, is in the
0: Birmingham City Hall of Fame. (laughs) he was up front with Jeff Horsfield, right, who'd come from Halifax. I mean, what what are two worlds coming from different ends of the spectrums to come and combine there that Jeff Horsfield ends up playing alongside Christoph Diggory? It's just absolutely mind-blowing. You would never have even conceive the idea, would you
1: just to go back quickly, Martin to what we were saying earlier in terms of do agree going in having a, a biscuit with Steve Bruce and everything else? Have you, how was your experience of how much a manager can change your mind? What's the kind of the relationship there? It, obviously, also taking into account, you probably have to move clubs. If you think about it,
2: the only person you have to please at a football club is the manager, doesn't matter if the fans don't like you, it doesn't matter if your teammates don't like you, if the manager doesn't like you, you're not playing. So, that relationship is really important, but also. You get to know how much they want you, so if the manager puts time and invests time in speaking to you, and if a manager's wanted you for ages, they might be courting you over the over the period of you know six months or whatever, but you know slowly building it or getting a chatting you know all, all above board.
0: what's your uh, deal breaker? Is it a cup of tea and a biscuit, or is it something more significant? Obviously that was for world Cup winners, I only want a cup of tea and a biscuit What do you want <laughs> Uh, just the ability to pay my bills for the next year, okay. probably <laughs> <laughs> the, mortgage, the
2: mortgage getting paid uh, yeah, at the lower level it was a little bit more sobering it was less about the romance and more about the nuts and bolts
0: uh, who else are we going to throw into this uh, The what the fuck category uh, Danny McLaughlin who we've, we've had on the pod chucked one in on Twitter
3: and I thought no he's got that wrong that was 90s but Andy Gorham Went To Man United in 2001, which I had to double check. So, I thought, no way, he was 30, nearly 37, <laughs> signed on loan from Motherwell, and uh, and actually played a couple of times for him. But in both games, he got taken off before the end so that he could get Van der Howe on and, and get him his, uh, his medal for his 10
1: appearances. What's even more, what I really like about the Andy Gorham thing is you, you think you, you've obviously mentioned the age in which he goes into Manchester United, he keeps going after Man United. He goes to Coventry, he goes to Oldham. Andy Gorham m- retired about 25 minutes ago.
0: Like, he just kept going. If we're speaking about, uh, you know, what the fuck kind of signings, we have to give a mention to Bolton, really, don't we? Who had a, a series of players uh, during the noughties that you were just like, what are they doing there and how are they so good?
3: Yeah, I think, think Dugarrie as well and, and all the Bolton ones come into like the wow signings, really. Like, it was what the fuck booms and do their own stuff. But, like, a cocher here, a camper, a cocher and joke air front for Bolton. Like, what the hell is going on here? Just ridiculous. But it was amazing. I don't know how old I would have been at that time, but I was doing a Bolton player celebration, like, Playing for my local team, doing the old one-legged dance, the Acacha dance. That's a Bolton player. That's how much everyone loved Bolton at that time. It's just absolutely brilliant. And just a of those two, three kicks against Villa. I think it was the rainbow flick over over Ray Pazza. Like That team has made such an impression all these years on. But they still have like Kevin Davis playing for them. The mix, yeah. the mix of it all was just was just
1: ace. It was the it was the flair with the kind of. And this might be unfair, but with that kind of traditional view of Bolton, and actually what has become now the view of Sam Allardyce actually as a manager, uh, to have all of that flair in there, it, it was just unbelievable. You know, Djokovic arrives from from Lawton, things going a little bit sour from him in Germany, but... This is Yuri Giochayev, for the love of Christ. He's played at Monaco. He's played at PS Inter. He's unbelievable. He just walks through the door and starts doing these amazing things. And that was during a period, I mean, my my club, Middlesbrough, were making kind of huge signings like that as well. I mean, we could argue that in terms of the -the what-the-fuck signings, Giannino, Ravinelli, Fabrizio Ravinelli signed for Middlesbrough. (laughs) I mean, that is one of the maddest things you could ever think of in your entire life. And I experienced it for a year. He was unreal. And then... Well, we all know what happened, happened. But the fact of the matter is, the overstretching for these names, clubs could financially afford to do it still, like Bolton, like Borough, like a few others. You could still stretch for these big names. And then Campo, Hierro, you know, like we've said, these incredible players at Bolton. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it, it, is the, it is the juxtaposition, isn't it, of the names followed by Bolton, isn't it? That's the thing. I think also as well, more so now than ever, is that actually any kind of top flight team can sort of sign. Uh, you wouldn't be shocked to hear any team signing an exotic kind of player or something like that because they've all got the money to it. It's crazy. But, but then that was a bit like, why would they be there? It didn't kind of make sense. But but it was brilliant to watch.
2: Yeah, I was, oh, was going to say, I'll throw a couple more players in, in the what the fuck category for weird ones. You know, when they crop up, because I've played most of my career in League Two, and you just get like, when Edgar Davids signed for Barnet, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and then you're just like, you're playing against him and you're like, that's Edgar Davids. And you're still p- kind of pinching yourself because even if it's a shell of the former man, it's still Edgar Davids. It just kind of doesn't sit right. It's like some weird football manager thing, you know, you're just like, what's going on here?
1: Uh, as you're as you're going into that game as like a, as an opponent, the idea that you're about to play against Edgar Davids is that it's is it kind of like right? So we've got Edgar Davids on on Saturday. <laughs> what what's what's the preparation like for that? Uh, with the,
2: in those sort of anomalies, it doesn't really make a difference because you feel sorry for Edgar Davids because he's surrounded by the rest of the Barnett team. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like they weren't a good side at the time. So if you've got a player, I remember playing, I think you played Wickham. Wickham were a decent side uh, in League Two. Certainly, they always went up. And they had Rob Lee, who was kind of their sitting midfielder, and he just was a class above. You know, there's certain players that just stand out. I think um, um, Ian Wone at Shrewsbury oh, was just yeah. what a left peg he had. Just players that just, you could see the ability that they had was why they were at that level. There was always a clear reason. But if you're a centre midfielder and you're lead two, you're going to have lads just snapping at your old game, and unless you've got good players to bounce it off, you're going to get you're going to get hung out to dry a little bit. So it's tough for players to, to, do, to make an impact if they're on their own.
0: There's something you said there, which I think was is a really good like barometer for judging signings, which is that you said it felt like a a football manager or a championship manager signing. I think that is that is the level. If you look at something, you think that's the kind of signing I'd try and pull off on Championship Manager, then that's when you know it's a signing that's a little bit left field.
3: Exactly. Even I wouldn't have given Edgar Davids
1: number one, though. (laughs) (laughs) Scandalous. That is one of the greatest football disgraces of all time. And and it shouldn't shouldn't affect anything, but Christ
0: alive, I hated that.
3: But as Martin just said, when he considered a player around him, he probably just thought, you know what, I am number one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Should we look at some of the uh, the dodgier signings from the noughties as well? Who wants to who wants to set us off? Because there's there's plenty you could look at.
3: Yeah, I'll start. We've, we've spoke about them on a previous podcast, but the three Thai labs that Man City played after Shinawatra took over and they had Ericsson there and they signed these three Thai guys. None of them played for Man City, apart from on their end-of-season tour. There's been a few like that over the years. There was Dong Fang Zhu, who Man United signed. And there's Lee Wai Feng, who Everton signed when they had KJAM, um, the shirt sponsors. And whenever there's a signing like that, it's wrong, but you do automatically think, oh, are they trying to exploit a marketer? Great thing about Dong, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but there's a story going around that after he retired, he had plastic surgery so that he wouldn't get the piss taken out of him when he was walking around wherever he lives because he was <laughs> made the impact back to Man United. No, seriously. Uh, well, it's a, it's a story. I really hope it's true. I don't know if the the, the three lads in Man City had, um, you know, actually had decent careers, just not at Man City. But we spoke to Michael Ball about it, didn't we? And, and just a, a crazy trio of signings.
0: Yeah, in fact, let's uh, let's just have a listen to a little bit of the, the interview we did with Michael Ball when he was talking about what it was like under the owners and especially that kind of transfer merry-go-round and what it was like as a player at City at the time.
4: We spent a lot of time in a canteen, a Manchester to sit in the old training ground there. And it was quite a large bit with the TV. So that was our sort of relaxing time um, after lunch to sit and watch a few football games, a game of pool, etc. And it was always sort of the same old faces. And then all of a sudden, within a week, there's players turn up with two or three agents and then there's the the tie owners and then there's the tie owners uh, the bodyguards the driver the mums the dads there was a lot of people uh, um, and you didn't know if you could say what you wanted to say you you, you didn't know if anything's going to get leaked out there was some agents who were new uh, locally were bringing them the players in, and they were just all sitting around the canter. It was like a normally a football club. That's sort of like a closed part of the training yeah. ground. It's for you, for the players only. But there was it was such a busy time of convincing players to come and treating them well that every man and the dog were just sitting around everywhere and um, you didn't know who, which one was the player which one was the agent which one was the son so until they actually put the training kit on we didn't actually know who we bought half the time so
0: there you go Michael Ball talking about the uh, the comings and goings of many random people uh, at Manchester City but you know Martin if you're a player like that and you're just sat in the canteen and you're like who are these players was it a case ever where you just you don't know a player has been signed until they just turn up with the bib on the next day
2: yeah that's that, that's one of the most jarring things and particularly if it's a player in your position, you know, and you've not had any inkling, and the, the, the first place you find out is on the back of the paper and the, and the evening news, and, you know, and then you're like, hang on a minute, we've just signed a striker, and he's a big striker, and he's a target man. And I'm like, well, why would we sign him to sit on the bench? So you just kind of, those sort of things to giant But yeah, the, the, the weird ones are when, you know, the, they come over, you know, with the, the agents and the kind of entourage and that sort of element. And I think that was the real kind of watershed for that, wasn't it, City?
1: The fact that those players didn't really feature, it's it's, it's dodgy, weird signings, but it's not kind of mind-blowing to me. Whereas if you look at someone like, I know this is the end of the 2000s, but Bebe, for example, from Manchester United. Now, Bebe's a mad one because everyone thought that Sir Alex Ferguson and a giant Manchester United scouting team had signed the wrong person. That was the the rumor that went around, wasn't it? If you look at the other half of Manchester, it was that Bebe was not the person that Manchester United wanted to sign. How the Christ can you spend £8 million on a player with that kind of scouting system, with Sir Alex Ferguson in charge, and it'd be the wrong player? Mark, you're pulling your face at that. You don't seem to agree.
3: I'm just pulling my face because it's 2011, I think, wasn't it? 2010 he signed. Oh, here we go again. Is that in the 2000s?
0: Technically not in the 2000s. That's in the (laughs) 10s. Technically in the 10s. But don't worry worry about it. It's all good.
1: (laughs) It was towards the end of 2010, but it was 2010. I, I did my research.
0: No, but, 10, but the 10's not in the noughties. That's the point. He's not saying it's not 2010. Oh, I'm not, I can't be asked with this again, lads. <laughs> We've had this before. <laughs> Martin, what was your take on uh, when you look at other dodgy signings or certainly dodgy uh, routes to being signed? Uh, John Obi Mikel with the whole wrangling between Chelsea and Manchester United uh, at that point and Fergie and Mourinho and he signs for one and he signed for Man United and he hasn't and he ends up at Chelsea. That, that was one of the strangest sagas of any transfer saga the whole decade, really.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you look at <clears throat> players in that position, though, I mean, they're just doing the best that they can to probably leverage. But I would imagine going up against Ferguson and Mourinho is a bit of a rock-and-a-hard place situation, you know, because you're not... You're, I would imagine if both of them want you, that's great, but you don't want to piss them off. What was mad about that transfer
3: is that when it all got sorted out, Chelsea ended up playing, uh, paying Lynn. The Lynn Osler the team in Norway, four million. He paid Man United twelve million. get so and he never even played for him. Imagine if, if you can do that—twelve million for a player who never even plays for you. Take it.
0: Well, that is name on a piece of paper, didn't they? sign and good to go. He was in the he it was at the press conference with the shirt and everything, wasn't it? Must be the most high-profile person to sign not sign for a club. If you see what I mean.
1: It's got to be up there. I mean, there's no question. It's got to be up there.
0: Uh, who else have we got on the list of uh, interesting signings? Um, Mentioned briefly in a in a podcast we've done before, we have to uh, give uh, credit to West Ham, of course.
1: Yeah, Tevez and uh, Mascherano.
0: Um
1: that will forever I don't know what you think about this mine, but that, that story will forever kind of be used as a maybe as a watermark as whereas football maybe lost its mind a bit because Sheffield United understandably fucking furious after that. Carlos Tevez doesn't score, people forget. He didn't score for his first 1,000-odd minutes. It took him a long time to get going. He does score against Manchester United. and get the, It was a
0: pretty important one that he did yeah, score, There, yeah. was it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mascherano barely plays. I think, he's, what, seven or eight times he plays Mascherano before he heads off yeah. to Liverpool in the... In, in couldn't the- couldn't go in front of Hayden Mullins, could he, to be fair? Yeah, I mean, and and who could? But I, <laughs> that 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 obviously, I mean, people know the story. Third party ownership. I mean, was it Missair Holdings and something else, wasn't it? And, and obviously, Keir Jurabchin, and it all just builds and builds. And it, and actually, what happens is two phenomenal players come from Corinthians, but in the end, Sheffield United perhaps unfairly go down. Mascherano goes to Liverpool in the January, and Tevez keeps West Ham up and then disappears. I mean, it's just. That story, I mean, in terms of signings, that's carnage.
2: My mate, when I lived in Manchester, I was mates with the, with the translator. Um, he, he did some stuff with Man United, and he worked with Tevez there, but he worked with Tevez at uh, West Ham. Tevez would just, like, do what he wants, obviously, but he would have to follow him around. So they'd get in a car, and Tevez loved playing golf, but he didn't have, like, a golf club membership or anything. So he'd just get in the sat-nav and just take golf in, and it would just take him to the nearest place to play, and they would just go there. And even if they were like private members place, he'd just rock up and he just, because it was him, you know, he had enough clout to kind of, Enough money to just go well. I'll, I'll hire all the stuff and just go and play around in golf.
0: I like the idea that he would have typed golf into the sat nav, and the closest one was like a little crazy golf place, and yeah, he just turned just up there, just doing a, doing a it. quick eighteen holes, one over the ramp. Oh, watch out for the little water yeah. feature, that kind of thing as well.
3: What I want to know is what's what's
2: the translator
3: needed for on a golf course?
1: Four. You just got to know what English is for four.
2: Yeah, bizarrely, when I played at Macclesfield, we had a lad on trail that kind of came just sporadically to training and stuff and we didn't know where he'd come from he was an Argentinian lad turns out he was Pablo Zabaleta's best mate and the club had arranged for him to have somewhere to go so Macclesfield was his team so he came down and played with us he was a great lad but he obviously when Mascherano moved up all the Argentinians were really kind of quite insular you know they all are quite not suspicious but are quite um they, they just like to keep themselves to themselves, and uh, he told me a story like he, even to the point of when Mascherano moved, they all went over and instead of just getting like a van and getting removals people, and they just moved it all in their cars. They're about seven trips, and you're like, <laughs> why would you just why would you just get a van? He's like, well, he's got his Audi, and we just stick all the stuff in the boot and do loads of trips. And I'm like, that can't be the that can't be the most efficient way to to do that. I just find that really weird this lad um, he had these like he used to get a lot of stick off the lads because they didn't know who he was he didn't speak any English so McElfrey was quite a tough dressing room to come into and he posed these green boots out and they were green Adidas boots and they were like they were a bit lively and you know he quite rightly got a bit of stick for them but then when the lads went because you couldn't get them in the shops and they went where'd you, where'd you get these from Wakim and he was like oh my, my friend Lionel and Messi had given him his boots Zabaleta played for Espanol um, uh, Joaquin lived with him and they just knocked about Messi so Messi gave him some boots We so came in so as soon as he said that everyone was like he's best mate so are, you
0: saying, are you saying that Messi's boots have graced the Macclesfield turf then? <laughs> very much so very and, much and so. there there would have ended the craziest transfer of all time had yeah. that actually happened could he I do feel it like
3: Mascarano might have told that anecdote when he, when he turned up at Barca and he said, you know, do you think you're going to fit into the style here? He said, Well, wow, I've got an anecdote which uh, which will tell you that I definitely do. I was moving out and, and I could have done it all in one trip, but why do one trip when you can have seven?
0: Damn the old boys. Um, right, we, we mentioned about uh, about Tevez and Mascarano. Let's actually uh, hear from when we did uh, we did our, it was our England Golden Generation podcast and we spoke to Paul Koncheski and he was talking, because uh, we asked him about it as well, about the West Ham situation where Tevez and Mascarano turned up and what was going on at that time. And this is what he said.
5: It was a weird one, to be honest. Um, That's the sentence we, we thought you might start with, actually. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> we, we obviously see it, probably like you guys did on the TV and at Upton Park. And they, they'd come out with a manager and the, and the board. And then we, we was out training one day and they, and, and they just come out to train. So we didn't have no inkling that these boys were coming. And I think it was kept quite quiet. No, no one knew nothing about it. So when, when it did obviously happen, we, 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 we see it probably just like the, the public see it as well.
3: So what was it like in training when they first start playing? Is there, a, is there almost a bit of a rivalry there kind of thinking we need to welcome these to England and the Premier League?
5: Difficult because they didn't speak English at, at the time. You, you had, you know, football banner and you have banner and you do this and you do that. But then they're not really joining in. To be fair, Masquerado was really good. He learned English really quick. And I, and I think Carlos... I think he understood a lot more than he he let on, but <laughs> <towards> <laughs> end, I think a
0: lot of players do that, don't they?
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but towards the end, listen, he, he got involved and it, it was really good. Uh, but that, that was two fantastic footballers. Let's, let's not let's not be critical about them. That was two fantastic footballers, and you, that, the standards when they when they was on form was unbelievable, and it was it was good to have them about in the training ground.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to ask because obviously Javier
3: Mascarano didn't really stick around for too long. I think he only made about <laughs> five league appearances. After watching that, did you expect him to go on and have the career he had with Barcelona and Argentina and Liverpool?
5: You could see he could play. This, well, I'm not going to lie. You knew he, he could play and maybe it was political. He didn't play at West Ham because the manager didn't bring him in and whatever, whatever. But you knew he... he he's an, Argentina and international, he, he must have something... You knew he could go on and play, but the career he had was fantastic and you can't take it away from him, it. but you knew he would go and play at, at the highest level, but he, he went on and done much, much more.
0: In terms of transfers, uh, do you have those moments as as a squad where you know, you're know you all together on, on the day and then just the next day, someone's not there anymore? That was, where's that come from? A total bolt out the blue? Any players that just sort of disappeared without anyone realising that they were going to be going?
5: You, you do get them ones, um, but to be fair... Because all your stuffs normally at the training ground or in your lockers and all that, you you do normally come back and you would see them. So, but there there is boys that that they think they might go, so you take everything and then that night you get that call and you you don't go back and you don't you don't speak to anybody unless you're really close and you just say like good luck and blah blah. But other, other than that, sometimes yeah, it's just. They've gone, they've shut the door and it's a new beginning for somebody else.
0: I guess these days someone's then responsible for removing them from the squad WhatsApp group. Is that, is that how it, you know... Yeah, you're Paul right, Konchowski yeah. has now yeah. left the group,
5: that kind of thing. It don't normally take long either. Once, you, once you're <laughs> trying you're normally straight off that list. So <laughs> um, they don't hang around no more.
0: Oh, well, the harsh the harsh reality of the footballing world therefore
5: <laughs> is but... That, that's life, ain't it? You, you, you move on and you, you don't want to be seeing what's
0: going on in your old club. You want the, the new beginnings. Should we move on to uh, transfers to our own clubs that we, we look yeah, back yeah. on and think, what's going on there? I'll get the ball rolling with the strangest one of the noughties has gone down in folklore and history for Leeds United, was Peter Reid doing a deal with AC Milan picking up the phone to sign Brazilian World Cup winner, Roque Jr. to come and play at Leeds United. Obviously, um, the season where everything is, was going downhill, as we know. But when he signed, when, when that name was sort of said, everyone was like, oh, wow. All right, we'll have, we'll have a little bit of that. He was shit. I mean, to, to be fair, in a struggling team, you've got, to, you've got to say that. It was in a team that was struggling, which is never... And, you know, he came in and what are you expecting him to do? You know, Leeds lost, I think, four games. They shipped in 16 goals when he was playing, including a 6-1 defeat at Portsmouth. And the only thing he did, well, the only thing he did that was good, he scored, this is really random, he scored two goals against Man United in the League Cup. I don't know how, I don't know why that happened. But other than that, it was just one of those really strange things. And Rocky Jr. has gone down in history as the oddest League United signing that anyone can get their heads around. Peter Reid, AC Milan, Brazilian World Cup winner, and really bad when he got here. The combination of all those four things just makes it very, very odd indeed. To be fair, Richard, at that point, you could have put Messi
1: in that team at Leeds and you'd have still been absolutely fucked. So
0: <laughs> Even even in some shiny green boots, I think we would have still been a bit screwed. And if I could just add one more in as well, because that's, that's Rocky Jr. as one, and this is actually at the end of that season. So Leeds get relegated at the end of that season. The following season, Alan Smith, Leeds born and bred, Leeds through and through, the man that, if you cut him, he would bleed Leeds United. A man who said he would never play for Manchester United, and of course the circumstances were strange. A man who, on the day when Leeds went down on the final game of the season, I was there in the sunshine, sat in the east end. Leeds drew three all with Charlton, and Alan Smith, who never takes penalties, took a penalty and scored that day. A man who scored in the Champions League, who scored on uh, on his a debut for Leeds United. I'm pretty sure was it was Anfield, possibly against Liverpool. A guy who you would never associate with the red and the cross of the Pennines to Manchester United. A man who, after that Charlton game, Leeds fans knew he was going to go and was held aloft by the fans on the pitch, then went off and fucked off to Man United. Are you kidding me?
3: It's all been building up to this, has not it, Rich? Two series in, last episode, this is what it's come to. This is what you've been waiting for. It's
0: off your chest now, mate. Well done. I'm the Alan done. Smith breakdown we
1: all knew it was going to happen has finally <laughs> happened.
0: I just, I just couldn't get my head... I, I, I don't think he could get his head around it either, to be fair. But for me, Rocket Jr. and then Alan Smith will be the Leeds United ones. Who else has got to throw on in? I've
3: got loads because we were owned by Icelanders up until 2006 and there was all sorts of mad stuff happening. I mentioned um, Sammy Van Gora, the guy who, who went AWOL when he went to the AFCON um, before. But one that's what, well, two that stick in my mind were um, Triggy Good and Toddy Good Johnson. It was Pulis' last season under the Icelanders. News talk of, was getting a bit of money, and I think he wanted to sign Lee McCulloch, and it never come off. And anyway, the Iceland- obviously you know Tony Pulis, he likes British lads, plays in you know, the league, and the Icelanders signed these two players. Neither of them played. Then he went, and one of them was the old manager, Good John Thornton's son, so he doesn't play him. And then Pulis goes and signs his own son, Anthony Pulis, says like a fuck you, then, if you're signing son, I'll sign mine. Um, and that whole season, he was talking about it just being pureless, just sticking two fingers up at the board. We went 17 games in a row where every scoreline was either nil-nil, 1-0 nil, nil, or 0-1. And the whole thing was like a big, well, if you're not letting me sign who I want, I'm going to give you that. Mantle times.
1: Uh, that, that's just pure pureless. I'm a big, big fan of that. Guys uh, Gomendieta for me. Uh, the, the day that Guys Gomendieta signed for Borough at 29... It, that that blew my mind clean off. That it really did. I mean, bear in mind he'd been on loan at Barcelona the season before, a couple of years before he'd won the Champions League with Valencia, having been probably the best player in that team. And all of a sudden, even at 29, he walks through the door at Borough in that first season. We win the League Cup, but he the, the signing of Geske Mendietta gave me a headache because it was this thing of uh, 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 how uh, how 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 what. How? <laughs> and and, and, and Borough have done that a few times with Janino. Uh, I did actually know about Afonso Alves before he signed for Borough. Obviously, that wasn't great uh, in terms of how that went. But that, that seemed like a mad sign, Janino. Ravinelli, we've spoken about, which was 1997. But yeah, Mendieta walking through the door under McLaren was, was absolute madness to me. That was, that was craziness.
0: Uh, Martin, we're going to give you the last word on uh, crazy naughty transfers. Any, any others that spring to mind, ones that you saw and thought,
2: what? Te- on the technicality, probably not. The transfer was just in the end of the nineties, but he, he played in the early two thousands for Celtic. Uh, we had a manager called Doctor Joseph Venglos, yeah, and he signed he signed Lubo Moravczyk. He signed this little Slovakian who was thirty three years old, and he looked like he looked like he'd just come off a building site. And he honestly, I just everyone was like, "What is th- is this our marquee signing of the summer?" And he was unbelievable. He was unplayable. <laughs> Just like I had a when I played for Plymouth in uh, in the early 2000s, we had a couple of players come down from Scotland from Paul Sturrock. And the first thing I said to them, I was like, Oh, what's it like playing at Celtic Park? And they were like, Oh, it's deafening. You can't, I was like, Who's the best player you played against? They were like, Lubo don't, you can't get near him. He takes corners with both feet, he just decries cross turn you on both sides. He's like a Slovakian Peter Beagre, you just couldn't get near him. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Stop that.
0: What I would like everyone to do is, just of all the ones we've discussed, I would like you each to pick the one, whether it's a What The Fuck signing, or WoW signing, one for your club or whatever, the one that if you had to pick one as the most standout of the noughties, which one would it be?
3: I'm going to go for which we haven't mentioned. What? You can do that. I was, to, <laughs> I was going to do the same thing. Figo to Real Madrid again, just unbelievable that was a chance which the whole world was talking about he said he wasn't going in and then he goes way well, madrid he has the pig's head thrown at him when he's taking a taking a corner just that whole saga was just yeah just everyone was talking about it so that one
0: that's yeah, a real bending of the rules there right at the end there mate
1: i was going to and, do exactly uh, the same thing though with figo i i think it's tevez and mascherano that that that's not that, that's a signing that's so mad that the world of football changed <laughs> that's that's the tevez Maserano changed everything so that to me is un, unbeatable and unparalleled in mad in mad signings for me
2: um, i'm i'm a big fan of the bolton setup you know any of those lads i just like the idea of jj acocha even campo and uh, just, just knocking about together you know just going down to kfc and just walking the streets of bolton just be amazing and also the, the quality of the football is just sensational, you know. Yeah, I mean what a side they had. So yeah, the bolt the bolton years, the glory
0: years. There you go. The Bolton glory years is, is an interesting sentence to finish up uh, this episode of of the broken metatussle. But hey. That's where we ended up with the last episode of this series as well. There's plenty to get stuck into from both series, if you fancy something to fill your ears when you've got a little bit of time at home at the moment. Uh, Loads of episodes from all sorts of things from the noughties. uh, So definitely get stuck into that. Uh, Thanks to everyone, by the way, who's been reviewing and rating. We are hugely, hugely grateful for that as well. Uh, But until uh, the next time, whenever that might be, Mark. Holmes, thank you very much. Adios. Pete, you can go and uh, reminisce about Middlesbrough's glory days. Long time ago. You might have to do some digging there. And uh, Martin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. And we'll see you next time on The Broken Metastarsal. Take care.